The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talked with Jocelyn Rice, an apparel designer with technical design experience at companies like Columbia and Nike and founder of Black Earth United. We talk about the day-to-day of a technical designer in the outdoor industry. Um, So I'm just going to kind of walk you briefly through my story um, of getting into apparel design. This is one of my favorite quotes. Um, Until the lion tells their tale, the story of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Um, It's kind of how I feel about outdoor design. Um, I never thought about getting into it for multiple reasons, but um, I feel like I never saw myself represented as a female um, and as a black female within the industry. And so um, I um, am a big advocate for um, diversity in the industry. And um, I think it's important to talk about my ancestry and the, the um, contributions that black people have made to the outdoors um, and why it's important that we're here. Um, so I was born in Eugene, Oregon, and then moved to Lincoln, Nebraska when I was pretty young, um, made a couple of stops along the way. I lived in Ohio, um, California, and Los Angeles. I've lived in Seattle, um, but I've come back to Oregon multiple times. Um, when I was a little girl, um, like I said, I just I didn't know that a career in design was really possible. I'd never, um, I didn't come from a family where college was an option or um, it was something that I, I thought I would ever do. It was, I thought I would get out of school and then eventually get a job and um, just have a job and not necessarily a career. Um, so how, I don't know if it's still this way, but how it kind of used to be um, to become a parallel designer is really about education, experience, and connections. So step one is you secure those loans to attend college and complete a degree program, and you really get hands-on experience through a mentorship program and learn that business of fashion um, through help and um, guidance along the way. And then you put together that portfolio and send it out into the world and find employment through those mentorships and connections. Um, But um, because it is very rooted in who you know, um, as we know, the percentage of black designers who are a member of the Council of Fashion Designers of America are 12 out of 470. It is getting better. um, And outdoor, those numbers are even worse. Um, But when I 
was going, I finally decided to go to community college and figure out what I wanted to do. And um, when I got there, I um, was the first time I'd ever learned about the Harlem Renaissance movement. And it really blew my mind. I was going to school to be an African-American history professor because it just wasn't something that we were taught in school. And um, in college, my, my world just got opened up so much. And I fell in love with the Harlem Renaissance movement and uh, women like um, Josephine Baker and really wanted to transform um, this idea of uh, empowerment through clothing and art. And so I ended up dropping out of community college and going to the only college that would probably accept me at that time because I was, um, I didn't do really great in high school. <laughs> and I went to a for-profit college, um, the Art Institute of Portland here. I had never sewn, I had never um, drawn anything, um, and I ended up doing really, really well. Um, in that in school in in um, design school, though something that I did realize when I was there is that there just wasn't a lot. Um, it was very European centric, and there wasn't a lot of um, um, different views on how you um, could draw your croquis or how your inspiration. I had a lot of um, West African influence in how I like to design and I wasn't allowed to use those fabrics. I wasn't allowed to draw my croquis a little bit more um, with big afros and um, bigger body types. Um, and this was only this was maybe 10 years ago. Um, so it was, it's really, it's fascinating how much design has changed um, in over a decade. Um, so when I got there, I was just really nervous and um, felt like I was being really forced to conform into a system um, and an industry that wasn't accepting of my um, aesthetics and um, thought process, um, but I really over, I had really developed over the course of my life like a tough skin. Um, and so I um, really had to trust my dopeness and um, know that even though maybe I had to conform in that moment um, to get through school, that once I was out, I was hopefully not going to have to do that as much. Um, so along the way, um, I really found myself um, attracted to the outdoor industry. Um, when I was first in, in college, I thought I would start my own business and um, I was making these um, West African style gowns with um, lots of beadwork, lots of jewelry, um, but I live in Portland, Oregon and there's not a huge market for that and um, it was a little bit more than I wanted to take on right out of um, college. So um, I applied to like Nike and Adidas and th then I started looking at um, Columbia and Under Armour and the North Face and um, Eddie Bauer and Jobs and more outdoor centric. I grew up pretty um, poor and um, so the only thing that we would do is just go camping because it was really inexpensive and um, we could get in our big van and just drive and um, visit all of the national parks. Um, I lived behind, um, or I, a rock quarry was right behind me growing up, so we would just constantly go play in the rock quarry. Um, and so 
when I started working at Columbia, that was my first internship out of college, um, I just realized that, again, the industry was just very um, European male top of mountain centric and there wasn't a lot of room we were pinking and shrinking at that time and um, it was kind of a shock to the system because it was something that I enjoyed so much and I and I just didn't get why we weren't considering um, the um, other people within that space. So when I first started interning, that's really what I focused on in design. So I focused on the equity and equality. I um, really think about um, consumers as human beings and what each individual human being in those um, intersectionalities and how they play into the product. And I really do feel um, like it says here that apparel really needs to be functional, efficient and support the psychological, social and cultural requirements of its occupants. Um, it also needs to be very um, considerate of our environment. Um, outdoor plays such a huge part in and apparel in general, as you know, um, plays a huge part in um, our environment and how we interact with it within those clothes and how we're creating these textiles is something also really important to think about. And um, so that's really been my mission since I um, got into the industry. And this was something that I created with um, a visual artist just to kind of get all my thoughts out to figure out like how I could proactively try to um, attract um, and um, get people interested in thinking bigger about the outdoors and the apparel industry. Um, I also, so I've worked for Columbia, um, Eddie Bauer and uh, Nike, and a couple of other little places um, like Sword and Fern and Jarbo. And um, this, my favorite product that I've ever designed it, designed was hunting and fishing apparel. So I designed that for about two years and it really opened my eyes um, to um, the contributions that black folks had made to this particular industry. And it was really fascinating. And it was one of the most eye-opening moments in my career to get to be a part of that. And I learned how to, I would get up at three o'clock in the morning and um, go duck hunting. Um, I've been elk hunting. Um, I went and fished um, for, oh, what is it called? I'm drawing a blank for the type of fish that we I went uh, and would on the salt flat the flats in Florida um, and went fishing out there um, it was just such a joy to be with in community with the environment in that way and it really changed the way that I thought about um, design again like it just added another layer onto it um, and that community is so tight and um, it was I remember I would sit down and just read about how fish um, interacted and how, um, how, how fish could hear and see and smell and like all of these other things. And I remember every time I would carry a book around and sit down somewhere, someone would come up to me and want to talk to me about my book or about their trip and why they love to hunt and fish. Um, it's one of the most incredible products um, to be able to work on. Kind of already talked about um, this idea of um, we know how many um, how many people of color work in like NGOs and government agencies and foundations and outdoor, but we really don't know that in um, um, the 
corporations on the corporate corporate side. So currently I'm working on a grant, um, applying for grants to do a research paper um, um, about um, how many people of color are working in the outdoor industry. It's the second largest GDP. And I think it's really important that there's multiple voices involved in um, that industry because it touches so much. Um, and that's from unlike you've learned in the class from apparel to product development to materials um just the industry is so incredibly massive and the things that you can do in it are endless um and and having multiple um and different people of different intersectionalities um working there are critic are really really important um and along the way i um i ended up meeting this gentleman um willard who's um helping me with my grant writing and um held um, our, our for the first um all black um black and indigenous um was like a um, an online class about um, designers and um, influencers and retailers and just what they want to see from the industry. Willard's been um, fishing since he was a little boy um, and he owns the um, uh, 4W's Fishing um, out in Florida. I'm a really incredible human being and there's so many people doing really great work that are so inspiring um, like Chad Brown and uh, Tracy from Brown Folks Fishing and Wild Diversity is another one. And I really do feel that um, the industry in general, general as an apparel designer, they really have a lot of challenges, but to become really influential and socially sustainable for a lot of generations, we have to address the um, homogeny that exists there and really think differently about how we design. Um, so that's my, my, my speech <laughs> to you about that. Um, but I can also quickly kind of run through my, the team research that we've been doing recently, if that would be helpful. Is that helpful, Chase? Now that I'm done with, and Andrew, now that I'm done with my speech. Yeah, no, that'd be great. <laughs> so right now we always design in, um, a couple of years out. So this is kind of what we're working on right now for spring 22. Um, so we're really just talking um, at, so currently I'm working at Columbia and um, we're talking about just the rise of internet culture and um, how people have greater access to the raw materials and how people are equipping themselves um, with the rise of Instagram and TikTok, um, young designers and creatives are really taking matters into their own hands and crafting things and, and wanting more from um, larger corporations like Columbia. And so how can we give people that, um, that hands-on kind of um, hands-on, um, this was made just for you and a very thoughtful um, design and a lot of the basic market drivers that we're looking at right now are like this modern basic t-shirts, um, up-leveling sweats, um, this perfect elastic waistband, um, especially now that we're, we're in this different environment where you're not having to dress up as much and you don't have to go out and you can sit in your, I mean, I'm wearing my like, my zombie slippers right now, you know, like, cause I don't gotta put shoes on. And um, so that just real um, comfort um, that we have gotten away from um, when we had to go out into the world and how can we make our um, outdoor apparel more comfortable for people 
and really focusing on those emerging trends like eco-friendly jackets, um, just those really core colors and interesting textures um, that people are looking for. And then we always look at those leading players that are like Patagonia, Arteryx, the North Face, Montclair, um, Snow Peak REI. I mean, there's so many, um, there's so much competition um, in this space that how can we stay um, um, current and um, ahead of those leading players and where we see growth opportunities um, as designers are in that sustainability, really focusing on fit, especially right now I work on women's global women's sportswear. So fit is really, really, really critical to making sure that um, women feel good in what they're wearing and that they can expect the same thing when they, whether they're buying a pair of sweats from us or they're buying a pair of um, uh, snow pants. Um, and then the disruption of seasonality, just again, because the world is changing so much, um, seasonality looks different now. Um, there isn't so much this like spring, summer, fall, winter, um, because of global warming and everything else, we really have to focus on um, how to meet that need when we're, when we're um, merchandising the line. Um, these are just more market dynamics and emerging opportunities about um, growing awareness about the health and fitness lifestyles, um, sustainability, um, race, culture, and appropriation and technology. Those are always challenges that we have to deal with. And then right now, hiking is a huge thing for us. And it's a huge thing for so many communities um, that it's a really big opportunity. This is an interesting stat that the hiking gear and equipment market size was valued at um, what I can't even read it. <laughs> twenty thousand to twenty million in twenty eighteen, and it's projected to reach twenty eight million um, by twenty twenty six. So there's a huge opportunity there um, for businesses to and companies to um, kind of um, increase the their market share in that um, field, in mean, that activity. Um, then just here's some some more. Um, inspiration, I guess, um, just talking about how we can always improve and um, think about slowing down our processes and future-friendly quality materials and transparency in our garments. So that's something that Columbia does really well is their um, transparency um, of that uh, fair, safe, and clean outdoor industry and working a lot. They've currently um, partnered with Patagonia um, to um, talk about living wages and fair trade and the environmental sustainability. Um, we focus a lot on those quality materials and seeing how when we're developing our own um, technologies, really making sure that those are um, quality and um, driven by the want for a cleaner outdoor industry. And then in terms of style, this like seasonless design that we're really trying to work with a lot. So working with those more classic silhouettes, um, layering everyday comfort, um, and fit again, but just something that people can keep in their closet for season after season after season. When we get a design brief, it'll tell us how many seasons that style needs to be in. So is it something that we're really focusing more on trend or something that we're focusing on to really invest in and um, have a more of a long-term investment in those styles? Um, classic white, something that's really big um, now and in the future, just that nice clean look. And then transparency and layering is really, really um, um, key and important um, coming into spring 22 and beyond.
And then we can evolve with um, these power styles, jersey dresses, these up-level sweats, again, this and retro looks. So those are a lot of the emerging trends because we communicate who we are through our clothes um, that we're wearing. And so they're kind of our second skin. And that's how um, every fashion season kind of reinvents this idea and the new trends are born. So here's some of the trends that we're thinking will happen um, in spring 22 and beyond. And then more photos of like our up-leveling sweats, the retro color blocking that we're seeing a lot of, um, this next level tie-dye. You know, as people are sitting at home, like how is that going to evolve? A lot of people are doing a lot of work um, tie-dyeing and, you know, baking bread and like doing all of these things that we haven't done in a long time, um, the masses. Um, so um, how is that going to evolve um, as we come out of COVID and um, things go back to normal? We think a lot about that as designers. And then this is just um, how can we, we're working really hard and it's something that's really important to, to me as a designer and the women's team I work on is really focusing on that iconic DNA. Um, Columbia is traditionally, um, their DNA has been very masculine in how we look at our um, design language and these hard lines. Um, and so how can we um, evolve that? It's something that we're constantly thinking about and how can we be distinctive for her so that when you look at a garment, you know that that's um, Columbia for her. Um, so here's just some sketches um, that I've done and worked on. So outdoor life is one of the um, categories that I work on. So they're very um, trying to hit that um, more urban market, just that you wanna be outdoors and you wanna be comfortable and you might be going on a hike with your friends, um, just um, stuff to throw on, um, but still protects you from the elements. So we're always rooted in outdoor, we're always rooted in um, the materials that will protect you from the elements and keep you cool, dry, warm, and protected. Then there's those modern basics, just things that you um, would have in your closet every day, these soft touch leggings, um, your cotton pants, your thermal mock necks, um, jersey dresses, super comfortable basics that aren't based on trend, they're based on longevity. And then modern hike, um, these are on trail, um, things that are, everything is built with the purpose of being on the trail and hiking and protecting you from um, the elements and making sure that you're comfortable out there. And then the same with the everyday hike. This is more um, traditional gear that you'll see, like your technical flannels and a trail short, um, our titanium leggings that we have. And then the white space is really the, the most exciting part is we do get every season three slots to just think really big and imagine like what what could we create if we had no margins if we had no boundaries at all and what what's the challenge the content um, the context and the solution for a problem um, that we want to solve for the customer um, so it really begins with the mapping the market the products the services in the market and then determining whether or not they're served or underserved and then find gaps in those existing markets um, and then um, I always look at whites like the white space mapping I look at landing pages of different um, brands and companies just to see where they're sitting and where the opportunities are um, that are being missed. Do you mind sharing a little bit about, this is all, I think, a really great foundation. Do you mind sharing a little bit like nitty gritty, like what a day to day looks like? I mean, I know right now that's probably very different in a COVID world, but as a, as a mm -hmm. designer, where do you even begin? Right. It's like, there's so much of this upfront research that you're participating in 
yeah. like what where where do you start um i i had such a big every time someone asked me that question i I still haven't found the answer of where you start. Um, and it's really not that much different in COVID. I think the only difference is you, you're, it's no longer a tactile job. Like I can't go in and touch the product. I can't go to a store and touch it. I can't, so how do I completely shift my brain and use the skills that I've developed over the years to remember like what a, um, you know, a waterproof breathable feels like and what is it going to do? And like, I, cause I can't touch it and, and know what the gram weight feels like. And the, like, it's like, there's a knowledge base that's been there for so long that it's not too difficult, but it's no longer tactile. So that's, it's a, a little, um, s sad, I guess, but, um, it's not too much different. I mean, when we there's so many different ways. I mean, right now, I guess, so a, a typical day right now is we're working through, we've already designed the product. We've already been briefed. We've already went through that whole process that I showed you. And so now we're in this zone of working through the prototypes and we do a lot of virtual um, 3D modeling. So I'll get my 3D, um, my, my, 3D design from the factory and then we'll sit with the team and we look it all over and we really dissect it and it's it's a really great way to um of it's a less expensive way so that if I see something that's wrong or the fit engineer sees something that's wrong we can go back to the factory and get something really quickly and we don't have to worry about um that again that tactile so I'm not going in and um, we're waiting four to eight weeks to get that prototype in from the factory and once we get it in we have to reject it because they used the wrong material or they sewed it inside out or there was something that happened and we don't have to wait for that anymore so that's been really interesting and helpful um so that's kind of where we're at in the process right now is going through that um, we also simultaneously while i'm looking at the designs we're working through our coloring and testing our fabrics for um can I use this particular type of reflective? Can I, um, what kind of screen printing or heat transfers can I put on this garment? Um, is um, the design, once, I've, once we've seen it, is that something that we have to completely redesign? Like you're just, you're, you're constantly doing multiple things at, 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 at once. You're working with the development team on those testing. You're working with the trims team on testing. You're working with, um, your fit engineering team on fit, your um, uh, working with your design team simultaneously. Now we're working on fall 22. So I have to be thinking about that. So every day is like a um, making sure my list of priorities are where they need to be because you're covering so many things at once. You really have to, um, your brain has to shift at all times very, very quickly because the industry moves so incredibly fast. So does that answer your question? Yeah, did, did, was it a challenge for you to have to kind of think two years ahead? Um, or, you know, you're kind of working in multiple seasons at any given time. Was was that a challenge for you to, to start thinking that way? Yeah, I mean, at first, for sure, I think you get used to it. And that's what's so exciting about being a designer is you completely or I mean, we're all designers, regardless of what industry that you go into, you design your life every day, you have to think about the future of your life every day. So it's not when I say designer, 
I just mean as a human, but in my particular field, it's um, it was it was very difficult because there's um there's a level of pressure there that for me personally was was like how how am I supposed to be the person that says this is what all of you are going to want two to three years from now like what is it that qualifies me to have that level of knowledge and how do I attain that level of knowledge because we're not we don't inherently have it I don't I don't think but how do I attain it so at first it was um, it was difficult but over time now it's just how you think which is a cool thing for life in general you know so right well part of the job description of, of a designer is your part fortune teller right in a way, right? Um, right. Which I don't know how you ever train for that but um, I, I think Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of dominating the conversation here. We'll open it up for questions. But um, another question I had is one of the big differences that I've seen from previous guests who have maybe talked about industrial design or uh, product line management or soft goods to this conversation is apparel. There's such a, a bigger focus, it seems like, on um, designing apparel for, well, keeping in mind that people are wearing this so close to their skin and it says something about them. Like we haven't had that conversation about um, hard product design or soft goods. It seems like this is a much bigger conversation when it comes to apparel. Um, I don't, you, you shared a little bit about that, but do you have any other thoughts about, um, about that in general? I think that's just an interesting difference between some of the other um, areas of design that we've talked about to apparel is this focus on, what my clothing says about me as a person. Um, I mean, I would challenge the other designers if I knew who they were to say that that it should be something that we think about regardless of what you're designing. Um, if I'm holding this phone in my hand as a hard good, it's a part of me and it says something about me, what's on it or how it fits into my hand if I have a bigger hand or a smaller hand. So I would say that that's something that's critical to all design, um, but but fabric and how it drapes on your body, I get, you know, like there is, there's a form to it that is a little bit different. And there's, um, I mean, sometimes <laughs> my cross-functional partners, like I will touch a fabric and I will have a visceral reaction to like the feel of it. And like, what, like, what is that? Like in comparison to touching, touching a waterproof breathable against my skin that feels a little bit plasticky and um, I don't like the sound and like, there's so much, um, um, I guess, involved in that, that, um, that is different. But I would challenge to say that in any design field and in any, any, part of a of of outdoor design that you go into that that should be at the forefront of your mind is how is how are you interacting with that product and that's no different um with apparel it just it's just uh, I, I guess against against your skin but yeah i would just i would challenge that that's important for all of us i guess great so one more for me and then we've kind of hit the point where we open it up to to the rest of the class um students can go and, and go down like a fashion pathway and there's plenty of schools that do that. We're focused on outdoor and, and performance and technical. Like what, what has that experience been like for you having to dive deep into how does this material perform versus just purely how does it look? For sure. Um, well, the, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we look so much at fashion. 
Um, we look to the runway and we look to that a lot, but to think so deeply about what someone is doing in that garment and how are they going to interact with their, with their environment? What is this doing for them? Like, it's so considerate and so intentional that it's such a beautiful thing to get to do. And it just opens up your empathy mindset, I think, for people. And like, it can, it puts you in a completely different space because I'm not just creating something for you to, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to like, shit on anybody else's <laughs> like design field but like it's it is so incredibly intentional and like i said i mean i think that's it and so incredibly um considerate because i have to protect you top of mountain i have to um make sure that when you're running that there isn't anything hanging off of your garment that could hurt you could get hurt like it's 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 extremely a compassionate design field in my mind um and that is just such a great joy and pleasure. But then I can, when I design, I also like to just design my own stuff for whatever, you know, like I'm just constantly designing. And so then when I design my own things, it's like, well, like it makes, I think it makes it even that much better because I'm using that mindset in like high fashion because I love high fashion. So I like to design that stuff as a hobby, you know? So when I do that, I think it makes it that much better. And I think we're seeing, the industry, I mean, outdoor is huge on the one runways and it has been, it's, it's just, go, it's going up and up and up and up. And they're seeing that that's a necessity for everyday wear and for, um, streetwear or for high fashion. Um, um, so it's, um, it, I think it's playing such a bigger part in the conversation, you know, does that answer your question? It, it did. Yeah. So I'm okay. going to step back and let, let the students ask some questions. We have some here in the chat, so I'll, I'll read these off for our recording, but um, okay. Amanda asked, what is your favorite slash most rewarding part of being a designer? Um, my favorite. Um, I guess that you're, the endless possibility, like you're touching so many people, like especially working for uh, huge corporations, like you, I get to see something, help somebody put their kid on the bus when it's pouring down rain and know that I made that garment, like that, um, that I helped you be able to do what you need to do safely and comfortably. Like it's a very um, humbling experience when you see your garment on somebody helping them do what they wanna do. Right. Um, another question from Morgan Davis. How do you attain the knowledge uh, or strengthen your skills in being able to predict what people will want to be wearing in the future? So how do you train to become that fortune teller? Um, I talk to people all the time. Like, I love to talk. So I do a lot of like, um, I talked to a bunch of uh, yesterday high school students, um, just kind of asking them what they like and what they don't like and I, I I think it's there's a lot of um human to human contact and human psychology of like r reading those kinds of things I'm a big reader so I read a lot about human um how our brains function and um why we think the way that we think so for me I, I do a lot of um a lot of reading um about human behavior, which I think is a is a good a good barometer. It's worked for me so far. So I guess that would be my advice: is to 
read about human behavior. <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, a question from Lauren Echo. Um, how long has Columbia been in the designing for multiple seasons mindset? This is the first time I've heard about that concept, and I'm wondering if this is a new concept for the company. It is new. I think it's new for a lot of people just because of um, it takes larger. I don't, I guess, I think it's new for a lot of older corporations, and a lot of these outdoor companies are a lot older. So that concept of seasonless design and designing for multiple seasons is new for them. So it is relatively new for the organization and I think for the outdoor industry in general. Um, a question from, I'm sorry, is Carolina um, Milan. Um, how can you keep up with trends and have an idea of, of new trends without knowing them? Kind of a similar question that was asked before, but I guess that that's probably really difficult. There's so many trends going on. How do you evaluate what is a trend versus what, what isn't a trend or um, what's a trend that's going to stick or, or carry forward? Um, I guess, I mean, some people are better at that than others. You know, I mean, I just think it's something it's almost a animalistic intuitive thing that some people have and some people don't I think um, but I the also the beautiful thing about the world now is that at any point in time you can everybody's wearing whatever they want it doesn't like there there isn't there's not a whole lot of risk in a miss I don't think somebody somewhere is going to pick it up and love it like I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of um, you a company just has to decide where they're going to put their stake in the ground for a particular thing. But I don't think that there's too much of a risk of missing it. Just like is their customer base going to knowing your customer base is so critical and then making sure that you're aligned with them on what trends they are following. Columbia is a they're not they don't lead in trends. That's not what we do. Um, and so we can kind of look it's it can be a little bit easier and that I can look at what um, I don't I don't like um, I don't I don't I'm trying to think of like a smaller brand like that we look to that you would look to them and say okay their customer is super into X so we know that our customer will be into X in a couple of years, you know, like they'll get there. They're just a late adopter. Columbia's customers are a little bit more late adopters. So it's a little, it's not as um, challenging in that way, I guess, for this particular brand for, and for, I worked for Eddie Bauer and it was the same thing where it was just like, they're not the, the early adopters. So um, it was a little bit easier. The European brands, I think are more um, uh, future, they're, they're, more on the edge than the American brands in terms of their products. So I know a lot of us look to those European brands to um, inspire what we're going to do. Right. Uh, and, and you're not shouldering that whole load of predicting the future on your own, right? Like how does, how is that split between like a product line manager, your, like the team, like how is that spread across the team? It's pretty cool. We work super collaboratively, which is like the, like probably another, I guess that would be my my secondary most rewarding thing is that 
your relationships with those cross-functional partners like are so important and and using the and we're all collaborating together when we're creating a line plan and we're sitting in a room for hours on end like debating back and forth like y'all gotta have some good debate skills and like you know there's a lot of like back and forth of like this is what i think and this is why and making sure that you can articulate why you think what it is and and then blending those ideas together so we'll sit with our plms our merchandisers the uh, senior designers the d2s and sometimes the uh, technical designers all in a room and just mold that line plan together so it is really a team effort on how we're going to create the umbrella part you know like the 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 fabric part of the umbrella and then you go down and you meet with your fit engineers and you meet with your quality assurance people and you say okay and your trims people and you say like this is where we're going what kind of fits should we we talk about fits and we talk about what's pop, what's happening in the market there and our fit engineers are really critical in that and then we meet with our materials partners and say this is the direction we want to go for fit this is the direction we want to go for aesthetics and uh those this t-shirt this pant this you know whatever and then our materials people say oh this is super hot in materials and this is so it really is this whole like tree of people helping make those decisions you know how uh, kind of a follow-up to that how much how would you break down i guess your role day-to-day how much is like pen and paper actually designing or designing on the computer versus collaborating having conversations versus looking out into the field it's probably hard to break that down into a pie chart but how is there any way you could break that down yeah, I mean, I think designing is like 5%. It's such a small part. It's like the smallest. It's the least amount of time. It's the, sh- you get the least amount of time to design. You get, that's the smallest part of, of the entire game is the actual pen to paper designing. You get maybe a month, if that, to design. I think I did 40 styles in a month. So it's very, very, it is, I mean, it is long hours. It is making sure that you are setting yourself up for success because you don't have a lot of time and you're going through multiple iterations. That's 40 styles about, let's say like 40, I think 40. Um, And then you do two options of each. So that's 80 styles in a month that you have to work through. And then within that, you're um, getting feedback and adjusting and adjusting, adjusting, adjusting along the way, multiple you know time so it's that's the smallest part right is that so i imagine that's where your technical skills have to be dialed so you can crank out those sketches you know those designs in a really short amount of time oh yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another question from page what what has been your favorite project or piece of clothing that you've designed or worked on when i was eddie bauer i got to work on the i pitched this like for women by women, um, top of mountain uh, product. And I worked with Melissa Arnott, who is in the Guinness Book of World Records for climbing mountain for Everest, and a couple of snowboarders um, and uh, rock climbers. And we all would just sit and talk about product and what they needed and how, and we designed the first like top of mountain collection for Eddie Bauer and the jacket, the telemetry got outside magazines, like best jacket of the year. So I was like, yes, 
like I just it was like it was such a rewarding experience. It was so fun to talk to like these, you know, it incredibly inspiring women about the something because I don't do that stuff like that's not my game like I'm not you know so I'll like uh, that's that's too much for me so to get to like to talk to these women and then translate it in a way that it it doing something that I don't do and knowing that I created something that they were proud of and that the industry was like yes that's you know it that you hit that like that that was huge for me like knowing that I could not be the person I'm not designing for myself I'm designing for somebody else. I'm not the target customer. And being able to to really take myself out of the equation and put myself in somebody else's shoes and know that I did it on that level of success was like an epic feeling for sure. That's amazing. Um, did, did have, Do you remember the first time that you felt that? Or was that the first time? Or do you remember, I, I like to ask designers this question of, do you remember the first moment that you saw one of your products out in the wild? Yes, it was the pearl plush jacket. And it was just this little like, it was like, I remember walking into the store and being like, Oh, my God, like, it was so crazy to see that jacket there. Um, So yeah, I totally, totally remember I was super bummed about the colors because it totally wasn't my bag. But (laughs) I, um, but yeah, I totally totally do that's for a big corporation but for like my own like the first time i um i made a wedding dress for a girlfriend and like being able to use those skills that i hadn't had you know like so there's just so many i've done so many different things that they have different for a corporation it's this for like my personal it's this and for so it's a little bit different but for a corporation yeah that pro plush jacket that's great um looks like our last question from students callie um you said you you or that you've actually um, you said that actually learning about different areas of outdoors like hunting helped open your mind and understanding um, with you know how to design for those activities better. Would you recommend designing for activities you already know and and know a lot about? I've never designed for. This is the first time in my career in a decade that I've designed for what I know. So I've never done that. Like I went heliboarding because I was designing snowboarding gear for you know olympic athletes so i think it's being uncomfortable and designing things that you don't know about is probably the best thing that you could possibly do the learning curve is insane and you have to be incredibly comfortable with being uncomfortable and asking lots of questions and i am a firm believer in getting out and doing the thing like i don't duck hunt i mean like i loved doing it at the time but i don't i'm not doing it now because i'm not saying this stuff but i you know i think if you have the right mindset you can be super successful in that but if you don't then design what you know and there's nothing wrong with either of those things but there's um for me and my personality i enjoy designing what i don't know because then i'm not as um, I'm not as affected, I guess, as a creative when someone don't like it because it's not, I, I'm, I'm not the target customer. Now it's a little bit more difficult designing global women's sportswear because that's the stuff that I would wear if I was to go. So I'm a little bit more connected to it and having to stretch in a different way of like, Jocelyn, this is not for you. You don't have to get so keyed up and like defensive about things, you know? So um, there's challenges in both. As a follow-up to that question, um, 
critique is a big thing that we talk about in, in this program and, and any design program, right? Um, learning how to give critique, accept critique. Mm-hmm. Um, has that been an issue for you, having to remove yourself a little bit or realize that you are not your designs, um, that if someone attacks your designs, they're not attacking you personally? Has that been an issue? How have you navigated that? When I first started, it was horrible. <laughs> Like, I died. Like, it was so hard. Um, It was not, I had to really grow in that space for me personally. I had other strengths, but that was not it. Um, So, um, but now it's, it's, it's whatever, you know, but in the beginning, like that first year was really difficult. Um, Really, really difficult because you're used to, I, I mean, in school, creating things that are, you're, I mean, you're still using a brief. And when I was in school, you were using a brief and you were still designing something, but it was because it's what you wanted, you know? And so you're used to creating what you want. And now you're out in the real world and you're not creating what you want anymore. You're creating for a client. You're creating for a company and it's somebody else's vision and it's somebody else's thing. And so it's, it was really difficult for me to understand that and remove myself. Now it's easy. And, and, to that point, not very many people are good at giving critique, like quite frankly, not very many people are good at it. So being one of the people that are really good at it, like giving it, taking it as something that you can work through, but like giving someone a good critique is like, please learn how to do that. (laughs) It would be so helpful. Do you know, like what are some of the elements of a good critique? Um, But Right. Um, I being able to really break down what you're looking at, like being able to break down what you're looking at and having the um, the vocabulary to help someone get to the space where you're thinking that they need to be like you need to know what you're looking at and what you want in order to give someone feedback. And I think a lot of times in creatives and because most product line managers, material developers, they all went to design school. We all just went to different fields. And so as designers, we are um, inherently sometimes in the creative clouds. So being able to really hone in and say what you need and what you're looking for for somebody, you know, what you're looking for is really, really critical. And then just um, saying thank you. Just say thank you or, you know, or I'll get back to you if you can't articulate it, you know, stuff like that. Uh Uh-oh, I got another meeting that's starting. Okay. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um, I appreciate (laughs) you taking time. You've been really generous with your time. I really appreciate it. This was so fun. And I hope that you all wake up and have a blessed, (laughs) joyful day and an incredible weekend. Our weekend should not be an escape from our weekday, even though they are like, I don't know. I hope y'all have a great, a great rest of your day. Well, thank you. No, thanks for taking time. Um, I wish you could hear all the applause and everything from the students. But uh, <laughs> that doesn't work on Zoom. So well, you, so. you can turn on your mics and give me applause. <laughs> there you <go>. so. <laughs> thank you. <Okay. laughs> thank you so much. If people want to stay in touch with you, how's the best way to do that? Um, you can just um, shoot on my email, Chase, that you have. Okay. Okay. And then- Thank you, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and then link, LinkedIn too, if people want to connect with you there. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, place. For sure. okay. Perfect. For sure. Well, Jocelyn, thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.